This is the Training Talks podcast with your host Richard Kelly of RK Fitness and Lawrence Davis of LXD Fitness. So Lawrence, have you ever looked at or been interested in how strong you are relative to other people? Have clients ever asked you about how they're progressing? All the time. I always look at the stats. I love stats. So for me, it's like heaven. I had a 50-year-old asking me, oh, I think he's between 50 and 60, he, and he asked me about the averages that you know someone his age would be doing for a variety of exercises. It was a pleasure to research. Absolute pleasure to research. But carry on. So I've been looking to try and figure out where I am on, on these scales, right? Because right. as you know, I've been sort of messing around with this powerlifting stuff. Wait, sorry listeners, we have to clarify. He, ha- he hasn't been messing around. He's playing it down, but you're meant to be doing a p- the powerlifting properly. You're meant to be pushing the powerlifting. Well, powerlifting's coming along, but it's... I was going to say, you did make a vow to us on one of the other podcasts. We're, 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 we're making you know, steady progress. Not spectacularly fast, but steady. All right, I'm glad. So, and we're keeping it low-key, because we'll come to that down the line. Anyway, so, when I've been looking at these stats, what's, what's fascinating about them, or, or what I think is interesting, is they're obviously set up for actual proper uh, powerlifters or weightlifters, if you want, because the, the scale ranges are ridiculous. Because when I look at them, I find myself in the intermediate category for most things, yet when I look around gyms I train in or that I work in, I am by far and away one of the top 5% of people lifting any weights in those gyms. So my, obviously these scales are aimed at certain elite individuals, but there's nothing that really sort of gives your average person a real barometer for where they should be because they sit in, the, in these lower end categories pretty much all the time. Yes and no. I agree with you. They, they will sit in certain categories for a long time, but that's the only way to truly standardise it. I think there are a lot of flaws of it, which we should go into, but it's a good way to standardise because we spoke in a couple of the earlier podcasts about technique. Yeah. So a lot of these things, regardless of what the weight they've got and the number attached to that weight, so let's say like 60 kg and you could do like 80 kg squats, so on and so on, a lot of it will come to technique. So the first stage, beginners, intermediates, technique changes will make a big difference in the performance and in the numbers. Well, this is exactly it. So this is this is why I'd like to figure out a non-elite scale because when when you take something in like technique, when you're learning the technique, we as as we both know, there's a big difference between lifting a weight that's less than your body weight, your body weight, one and a half times your body weight and twice your body weight. All four of those different things have a different feeling and a different technical requirement. So, in reality, you're technically improving through all of those. But then the only way to do that would be to do it based on training age and training year, training years of an exercise, because nothing else would really make sense. What? If you had a weight, plus the years that you've been training at the certain exercise. Well, I, I think that that's partly required, because there, or there needs to be some indication of that, because if, for example, you've been training for five years, and you've been doing, you know, a well-rounded training program, your deadlift should be, you know, this sort of number. There should be, it, it should shift in scale based on your experience because it should show you, and obviously as you get more advanced, you're going to make less 
improvement to the point that you sort of flatline. But pretty much if I took somebody and made them squat once a week, every week for three or four years, they should progress up to a certain point, regardless of whether it was a focus for me or not. Yeah, that's true. So I think part of the scale needs to have that training age element in. So, give me an example, Richard. Give me a weight, male or female, and then let's do a couple of exercises and look at the numbers that they have to do. Okay, well, on the scales that I've found, I've only really found deadlift, squat, and bench, which I think is a problem anyway. But we'll come back to that down the line. Uh, I had a look at what the numbers for a 75 kilo man were. So about me? Yeah, I, I, I sort of decided that it was it was sort of a good average middle point to pick. All right. So what would you like first? Deadlift, squat, bench? Deadlift. Okay. So they categorize them in five categories, untrained, novice, intermediate, advanced, and elite. Mm -hmm. Okay. So your untrained 75 kilo male, uh, in order to hit that number, you have to be able to deadlift 60 kilos. How do they define untrained? I don't know, but that... that I, I literally assume that means that you could just turn up and lift that weight, which is obviously not the case, because 60 kilos takes some time to get to, right? So there is a degree of training, Yep. right? Then your novice, it jumps up to 115, which is almost double that weight. Uh, intermediate, 135, so it's a very small incremental jump there. Uh, advanced, 185. Yeah, because that's where the technical adaptations start to slow down. And it's more about the strength element. Yeah. You've used all the little tricks that you've learned to get more weight, and now you need to actually physiologically change to get stronger. Yeah, so that makes sense for novice into intermediate. But then what I don't understand is intermediate to advanced jumps from 135 to 185. That's a 50 kilo jump. That's not bad. That's not, I don't think that's that extreme. It isn't, except for the fact that novice is only a 20 kilo jump. So novice to intermediate is 20 kilos, intermediate to advanced is 50 kilos. That's what I don't understand. And then advanced to elite is another 50 kilos. It's a smaller gap between untrained and novice and intermediate. Those yeah. three. And that's like the technical changes and getting used to the movement. We can assume. Yeah. And then you get to the point where a lot of it is not so much down to that, down to the technique. It's more about you periodizing and actually taking it more serious. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think that's what we're what we're looking at with these scales is effectively that there's an assumption that with the right training and right technical work, you're going to cruise your way through to intermediate and then advanced and elite is, is more of a case of actual real physiological muscular changes, if you want. I would say from looking at the numbers, the physiological changes have to start when you get to intermediate or before intermediate. I would agree with you. I think that the physiological changes start happening almost right away because as soon as you get the muscle coordination happening, which is the first part of learning the movement, say in the squat, you have to get the connection between the muscles, you start to see those muscles get worked more collectively. When I look at most of these scales, and this is my point here, is they don't really reflect what you see in gyms. They're not really reflective of where most people sit. So when most people ask you, how am I doing for strength? I can go and look at these scales and go, well, you, it turns out you're a novice. And that's not really very heartening for those people. Yeah, but the thing is, that is a powerlifting scale. But there isn't any other scale. I think there are other scales other than powerlifting. Because think about it, there has to be an Olympic lifting scale. Well, I was going to come to this point, is that I looked for one, I can't find an Olympic lifting scale that tells me how you're supposed to 
figure out what level you're supposed to work at. All right, that's some research should be done there. And equally as well, I can only find those big free powerlifting lifts. I can't find an overhead press measure, and I can't find, you know, how many pull-ups should you be able to do at this body weight. And I think these things should be there. They should exist. Yes, but the problem is, so I remember when I was studying, so I had to find out how different exercises correlated to each other in terms of one RM percentage, like the squat to then the hip thrust. Right. The RDL to the deadlift, because, you know, they're breakdowns of the bigger movement. And when you start looking at the data, it's, it's hard to see a correlation between them. You can find it, but it, it, it takes a lot of time. And the calculations and algorithms are not easy. So, in order to for you to say the data I found makes sense across the board, you'd have to get a massive sample size. So the problem with a lot of what you're saying is the fact that the only way to record these numbers are probably based on the elite elite and then worked back down because they're the only ones that there's going to be enough data on so that's why you've got such a disparity between elite advanced then going into intermediate also you've got special vitamins playing a massive role well yeah and i think as well you're you're that's a good point actually because probably the only way they can validate these numbers is by going to uh lifting clubs and then the lifting clubs have got people who regularly go so they can measure their numbers so it's not really true science and equally with the with the scientific research as well, there's there's stuff like you've seen those uh, is it ECG machines that measure like muscle activation in certain yes. movements, and I've I've seen those those responses and you get weird things that say like, well hip thrusts activate more glutes than deadlifts, or something, and then people go oh well that proves that you should be doing more hip thrusts because it's better for for glute training than than deadlifting is, but that's not actually technically. 100% true because that's just measuring that in the moment it's not measuring the muscle stimulus for the next 12 hours but it also even if you don't take even if you don't take 12 hours into consideration that's also down to the way the person does a deadlift my deadlift has become a lot more like a squat than a deadlift hexagon bar and a trap bar is more like a squat yeah than a traditional deadlift because you don't have to go round the bar yeah so activation in that itself is going to be totally different and because of the wrist position as well you change your shoulder and and everything changes so when people talk about that i understand you know you need those type of measures to understand the activation of the muscles but unless you're going to talk about every single different variation of an exercise you can't really rule that exercise out like that you can't okay so going back to my original point so going back to my original point when we're looking at how to know if you're strong in a gym or not how would you define that measure if say say for example a 50 year old woman comes up to you that you've been training for two years and goes lawrence am i strong what measures would you use to measure whether they're strong or not everything based on their body weight all the key lifts based on their body weight would you only be looking at at sort of lifts or would you be looking at whether they could do a pull-up or the depth of the squat or yeah but that all goes back down to body weight. All major exercises off body weight. Okay, so one of the things that I've always wondered is, where do you put a woman who's able to do pull-ups? Not just one, multiple pull-ups. Would you say she's more advanced or less? Or, or just in the middle? No, she's advanced. Right, so 
I agree with you about the bodyweight stuff based on based on what you just said on the pull-ups. What I do wonder though is how much we're taking into consideration lean mass in some of these measures. Because with body weight, obviously if someone's heavier, they've got more mass that they need to move. So when we're measuring, say, you know, someone's ability to do say a pull-up, if they're heavier, they're gonna find it more difficult to do the pull-up. So they're not necessarily gonna have the pull-up numbers, but they might have the numbers on say squats or deadlifts. Those numbers might be more advanced. It's a really great area, because ultimately you're penalising someone who, for no fault of their own, has a greater muscle mass at the same weight. And ultimately, when you go back to all elite sport, when you're talking about, yeah, all elite sport, it's about having the most amount of muscle mass per kilogram of body weight. Everything is based on that. Generally, yeah, but I think you can also be, in a gym setting, you can be strong and overweight just as you can be, so you can be lean and weak. For example, with men, there are a lot of men who weigh very little and have a low body fat, who are able to put, push out 10, 10 pull-ups very easily. And really, they're not strong. Their strength to weight ratio just gives them an advantage. But then you're playing with two measures. Are you doing absolute numbers or strength to weight ratio? Well, I think we need both. And I think we need, a, when, when we're looking at, is someone strong or not, we need a way to measure if someone is strong. I think it's I think it should all be based on weight to strength ratio. I think it should all be based on weight. But that favours lighter people naturally, if you're naturally lighter. Not really. Not really. Because once you once you equate everything to body weight, you can't say that you're strong until you can do your own body weight in those numbers, in those um exercises. Here's a good example to flip the table for you. The sled. Okay. I'm preparing to have a sled off with two of my friends. Okay. Now, I don't mind this, but I said the one thing that has to be involved in the sled off is it has to be in relation to body weight. Because one of my friends is 80-something kg. The other one of my friends is 150 kg. Wow, okay. So that's not fair. Because by definition, his extra weight means that he can push more than me by just leaning into the weight. So unless it's relative to body weight, it can't be fair. I don't stand a chance. I agree. In this scenario, because it's so extreme, I agree. Because obviously, if you take in this scenario, what did you say you were? You were about 75 kilos. 75. So you're 75, 80. You could maybe make a case that that's comparable, basically the same. For, for this challenge. And then 150 obviously has got more mass. The only other advantage I could see is your ability to accelerate versus the other two. But, but why is that? Because I'm lighter. No, I'm talking about explosive power because in, in terms of pushing, when you initially push uh, the sled, you've got to beat friction of the floor because you have to beat the resistance of the floor in order to, to initially push the weight. Yeah, but I've got less inertia to do that. Yeah, you have, except in the second phase, when you're accelerating up to full speed, you can accelerate faster. Yeah, but I, wait, I can accelerate faster with my own body weight, not with the extra No, resistance. but I'm saying when you equalize, equalize out the body weight element. Oh, yeah. Right, so you then have an advantage in phase two. So you need to wear a parachute. But the key thing I'm trying to say here is, maybe we should differentiate exercises. We should have a pool of exercises which are based on body weight and a pool of exercises which are not based on body weight. Yeah. I think pull-ups 
and dips should be maximal. They shouldn't be based on body weight. Let's say you take the lat pull down, right? So when I do my lat pull down, there should be a degree of, no, my lat pull down should be maximum, should be fairly similar to my pull up maximum. Yes. Yes, but you're going to be underweight. Ooh, yeah. Yes and no. Yes. So it should be similar. Yes, sir. Right. So effectively, if let's say, for example, my maximum pull-up weight is 100 kilos and I weigh 90 kilos, then my maximum pull-up weight that I do should be... Sorry, my maximum lap pull-down is 100 kilos and my uh, body weight is 90, then presumably my pull-up maximum will be around, you know, body weight plus 15 or body weight plus 20 for a single pull-up. Yes. Whereas, say for you, if you have the same, 100 kilos, your max would be body weight plus 35, let's say, at 75, or body weight plus 40. Now we're talking about this, I'm going to go back on my statement. It should all be based off body weight. I'm going back. I'm going back. All no, but you need the relative measure to work out the, the absolute for body weight. You just need your weight to know the absolute for, for body weight. I think... But I, I argue and I maintain the fact that when you look at the body weight number, it favours the lighter individual. It favours them in certain situations. However, ultimately, if you can't move your own body weight, how can you call yourself strong? It's the one thing which is truly relative to everybody. You can say you're strong, but if you can't lift your own body weight, how are you strong? If you can't do more, if you can't push more on a bench press than you can, then you weigh, you can't call yourself strong. If you can't squat more than your body weight, you can't really call yourself strong. I want to get into that because effectively, what's interesting, I think, is in, in most gym contexts, there are certain absolute numbers that people lift, which people define as being strong. So, for example, most gyms I've been in, most trainers consider a 140 kilo deadlift a good deadlift. Not great, just good. Most people consider a 100 kilo bench press a very good bench press. If you can bench above your body weight, you're seen as strong. But here's the thing. Think about those numbers. A hundred, there's not many people whose body weight is above 100 in the gym usually. No. So it's all more than body weight. Yeah. 140 is usually like 1.2, 1.5 above most, most people's weight. Yeah. And then, so, but this is what I'm saying is that when you look at it, that's where the real definition of strong is. But the funny thing is, that's the gym definition of strong. And that's what I, yeah. But then when you actually look at the numbers, like years ago when we used to train together, you're right, 140 was a number. Yeah. For a deadlift. But after years of leaving that gym and doing strength training, 140 is my warm up. Yeah, I go, I warm up through 140, but. But th this is the thing is that when I'm talking to regular people in gyms and you look around, it's interesting because there's a gym culture thing that also plays in here because in different gyms, different numbers are perceived as big deals. Like I've been, I've been in gyms where people deadlifting 180 kilos wasn't even looked at. People just wandered past, right? Someone squatting 140, you know, it was just, it was nothing. And I've been in other gyms where the, the strongest person in the gym is doing an 80 kilo deadlift an entire gym has gone to watch. And so this the, this culture element plays a difference here as well about where and what that gym is all about. But is it the culture or just the type of people that are there and their abilities? 
because it's just some gyms have soft people and some gyms yeah. have people that can actually lift. But that plays a role as well because you've probably been at points into random gyms and gone to do a workout there, right? Mm -hmm. And then when you wander in, you think this gym feels weird. This gym feels off. And then you realise that it's because the people around you have a different value system than, than in gyms you've been in before. I've been in gyms where good movement has been highly valued. And I've been in gyms where strength has been highly valued. I've been in other gyms where cardio, bizarrely, has been highly valued. And it just depends on what the environment is as to what people view as the most important element. Comes back down to the trainers. Yeah, and also the you know, management as well and who they hire and the rest of it. So I think this is where the difficulty in defining what strong is comes in. Because you're right in a way that you have to use body weight as a partial measure, but I still think you have to use some level of uh, absolute marker points as well on your progression, especially with non-bodyweight exercises. Like for example, with the squat, right? Squatting 60 kilos when you've got the two big plates on makes a big difference psychologically. The first time around people do it. Even if they weigh say 80, 90 kilos because as soon as they've got those two big plates on, they're using the big plates. Yeah, but that's trained and untrained. Yeah, and then that, that but, but that's what I'm saying is that then becomes a psychological element and that can be a barrier for a while. The same with bench press when you've got the two big plates on. Yeah, but that still doesn't affect, that's still not affecting the strength in the same, in the same way. I think the problem with us talking about strength is what a lot of these people are defining and talking about in gyms actually isn't strength. John. Because strength, or the best way to say absolute strength, is how much you can lift for one rep. Yes. Not many people do that. No, they use the, well, if they do any testing, they do the 10 or 5 measure. How is that testing? That's not, that's not true testing. In order to, if you, use, if you use the 5 scale, you have to use a totally different, one, a totally different um, rep scale to find out what your max is. If that makes sense. Well, yeah. And inter interesting as well because, all right, so this is a side point here, but this year, for the end of this quarter, so the end of March, I'm trying to do, or I'm trying to hit 150 on the squat as my, as my number, right? But it's a theoretical 151RM because really I'm measuring off of eight. So I need to do, based on my calculations, a 120 kilo eight rep set. And I'm not on that, I'm on 115. And when I do 130 for five, that puts me short as well. So what I'm doing is playing around with the numbers in order to try and pass the test without actually passing the test, if you see what I mean. Because I can use the different scales to try and figure out a way to hit 150 to then say I've passed my goal. But ultimately you haven't passed the goal. No, because, but I can't safely do 150 kilo 1RM on my own because I have no one there with me. You could if you put the safety bars up, but you're right because that's a psychological barrier in itself knowing that there's not someone there to save you when you need saving. Yeah, because I'm, I'm pushing to my absolute limit. So therefore what I will do because I'm on my own is I'll go to a higher rep scale and use this, the rep calculator to figure out what number I should lift in order to prove I can do it because I know I can handle that weight. Sure. If I go short. So you're right, the the 
the testing isn't really truly testing. So I go back to it. The only way to really test strength or say you're strong is to be able to do multiples of your own body weight. What about abstract stuff though, like grip strength? That's still strength. Yeah, I know, but you can do a grip strength test and then they can calculate from that test how strong you are in terms of grip because grip is a measure of strength. Yeah, but it's an isolated one. It's too isolated. Okay, so you're totally ruling that out. It's too isolated. In the last few years, there's been a lot of research around grip strength, and they found that grip strength is a good indicator of overall strength, particularly in people over 40, because grip strength shows your exposure to environments and scenarios which require you to be strong. So as you get older, people tend to do less and less active work. They tend to be less... um, physically active and there's a decline. The studies and research suggest that for any individual over 40, having strong grip is a good indicator that they remain strong. But this is not a perfect measure as well because it's really it's measuring strength relative to robustness in an aging population. It's not measuring strength in, in this case, gym strength because really most over 40s are gonna still be active in a gym. They're unlikely to be inactive. You say that, but honestly, I think that's just test. That is just a test for activity levels. Someone who goes to the gym more is going to be generally have a stronger grip, unless you do certain lines of work, which means you're going to have a a, a very strong tensile grip. But generally, just going to the gym means you've got a better grip. Well, maybe we're being too strict though, but because maybe most people in the gym are strong because they still exercise, whereas no. most of the general population don't. No, that's an NHS type. The definition right there. No. <laughs> no way. So, we're going to, I'm going to finish it by calling it two things. Relative strength in relation to your body weight, absolute strength. Yeah. Right now, in this conversation, there is no comparison between the two and equal ground in the middle. However, that is the one thing which we need to go off. We need to make sure that once their absolute strength is good, it always matches up to the relative strength. I feel like a lot of people who have a lot more body weight have good absolute strength. Yeah. But have horrible relative strength, yeah. which is pointless. Really. I absolutely agree with you. I think that's totally the correct point. So if if we were to do a quick scale here, what amount of pull-ups, as an example, for a man would you say shows you're strong? Ten? 10 consecutive pull-ups, five consecutive pull-ups. Where are you, where are we putting this? Let's say five, five to 10. Okay, and then for a, a woman, how many are we using pull-ups or are we using something else? For a woman, I'd actually just say a pull-up. One to five. See, I think one pull-up for a female is a lot harder than, than it is for me to get. So for me to get one, a woman to do one pull-up is a lot harder than for me to get a man to do 10. You're right, but only on the absolute scale side. It would be easier on the relative scale side because a woman would be lighter than a lot of men who can't do pull-ups. However, the problem isn't the weight for women. It's the ratio of lower body to upper body strength which causes women the issue, not their weight. So absolute side, you're right. Relative side, mm -mm. Also as well, I've discovered that men's centre of gravity is in their chest whereas women's is in their hips. So it means that when a man's pulling up, their centre of gravity is closer to the to the 
it means that their centre of gravity is closer to the bar. So it's easier for them to, to make that pull, whereas for women, it's lower down, so it's like they're dragging a weight up. So if you imagine when you put um, a plate on your hips and you're pulling from that scenario, that's how it feels for them in every pull. I would use a different body weight exercise, though, to show they're strong. I would choose a push-up, and I would, I would make it a higher rep number. No, chest press trumps a push-up. You mean the... Yeah, well, that's, that, that's the difference, though, between the absolute and the relative. Because on a, you can be relatively strong, and you could do, say, 15 consecutive push-ups. And in, in absolute strength, you cannot be strong because your chest press is only um, 30 kilos. No, that would make sense because you wouldn't be strong in absolute or relative. Because relative, even if it wasn't body weight, you're, you're not on a chest press, you're not pushing more, more than your body weight. But that might be because you don't have the technical capability to handle the weight above you. Because there's, there's an element of, of physics that come in here. Yeah, it's true. But what I'm trying to say by saying no to your push-up thing is a push-up isn't isolated to the area we're talking about. A push-up, you can use so many different things to get it. Your hips can be too low, your hips can be too high. So a push-up, in my mind, cannot be standardised. Okay, what about chin-up? Of course, a chin-up... A chin-up rather than a pull-up, that's fine. Okay, I'll, I'll go with the chin-up. But either way, you can't go to any of these soft gym type of movements and, and classes of strength movement because, yeah, push-up, come on. That's just, yeah. Cool. Okay, so then on absolute, what would you say for squat then as an as a absolute number? Above 100. 100 is a good measure. So anyone who can squat above 100 is strong. And then for deadlift, I think it's actually 120. Yes, I would say that's an okay level. So you could say they're actually becoming strong because most people aren't going to weigh more than 120. I'd also drop out any measure of strength from the upper body and just use that body weight as your measure for the upper body, the pull-up. No, because then you've got, the, you've got to think about it. You've got, you've got to have the push and the pull. So you've got to have the overhead press. Well, the overhead press is a good one to measure rather than the bench. Yeah, the overhead press in relation to the pull-up. They're the two. And dips. You've got to have dips in there. So, you know, what's interesting on, on these measures is because of my shoulder problem that I've, I've had for a little while, my overhead press number is terrible and my dip number is terrible. Yes, but then what is your... So here's where, being a good trainer, you can work around those. What's your, what's your dumbbell shoulder press number? Well, that also causes me pain. So that is also terrible. Yeah, yeah I had a game for that one. So what, what, where I would sit in these, in these measures then is currently one of my arms is strong. So, you, no, you'd just be classed as injured. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, is you'd, you'd sit out to the side, but just be injured. you're in rehab. But I think the key thing about the issue with a lot of these numbers, whether relative or absolute, is that when you look past the intermediate stage, the only thing that's really made a difference is the amount of times you train it in a week. So, a good example, one of my friends at work, I love this guy, but he's really cocky. Right. He's cocky beyond sense. And um, we had a challenge where it was, so let's see who can squat the most, who can deadlift the most. He weighs 15 kg more than me. Right. I didn't say relative. I went all in. Okay. I just said, look, we're going to do this. In order to get from where I currently was, which wasn't that high because I hadn't done it in a while, to get to, let's say, I was on a 195 deadlift. I trained deadlifts twice a week. Right. 
every week for six weeks. Right, so you did 12 sessions of deadlifts. But it was it was intensity of the session and it was focused on one thing. Like what you done, in order to get the right numbers, I worked out what I wanted to lift and then worked out what the six rep version of that would be. Yeah. And then I worked up to doing that for six reps. No, and I wouldn't cause myself too much fatigue doing one testing or three reps. And I could bang that out for both squat and deadlift and not cause too much fatigue week to week. Yeah, I like that. That's that's basically what I do. So who won? I don't want to be cocky, but it was me. Did he actually train? I don't know what he done. Maybe he was training, maybe he wasn't training. Maybe he was just being cocky and didn't take it seriously. But at that stage, I wasn't doing any strength training. So I know my levels and I know what I could get to. However, I shot to myself more in the deadlift than the squat. And I think the max I had probably lifted before I'd done that six-week period was maybe... Maybe like 175. But doing that format, and because I was doing it, I, I changed my style slightly. I was actually able to get to 195. And the only reason I stopped on at 195 squat. on a deadlift. Okay. But the only reason I stopped at 195 was because we had a meeting, so we had to leave. So you could have hit 200 that day? I believe I could have hit 200. I'm quite upset. I couldn't stay a bit longer because it's only an extra 5kg I feel like I could have hit 200 and walked out smiling so maybe that's next year's goal spend 6 months knocking it out again and try to get to 200 see the funny thing is, is that is one of my goals this year what get to 200 yeah but it's the back end of the year it's not yet at the, at the moment I'm at uh, 170 uh, for my deadlift and I'm at 180 on the hex and I know that in order to go up from where I am currently, I need to uh, get my squat number up because my squat number is lagging. See, it's interesting you say that your hexagon bar is only a 10 kg difference. I expected a lot more. It probably is higher than that, but it, I think it's more to do with the fact that I've done less practice on the hex bar. Anyway, to go back to the point about absolute and relative strength, basically what we're saying is for the upper body, uh, in absolute numbers, you'd be looking at the overhead press... Pull-ups, dips. Yep. And then for the lower body, it's squat and deadlift. And then for the overhead press, what we're saying strong is because we've already defined strong as being 100 and 120 for squats and deadlifts relatively. Uh, overhead press would be like 60 to 80. That's high. 60 to 80. That's why it's... I would say 60. That's why it's a strength measure. Obviously, there's an Olympic lifting element here where there must be Olympic lifting measures for strength. Yes, but that comes back down to body weight. And Everything they do. Remember, powerlifting isn't based so much on... Actually, no, powerlifting is based on body weight, but not in the same way. Olympic lifting, everything is based on body weight. And the numbers... In order to get to the higher level, you have to be really technically proficient, which means by definition, you're not doing Olympic lifting on your own to get to that level. Yeah, because there's little tricks and tricks of the trade you need to learn. But then that's why I feel like the difference between so it's almost like the scale flips there's big changes in terms of for Olympic lifting listeners from untrained trained intermediate there's big differences there and that's all down to strength it's when you get past that that it's down to technique because the slightest change of the bar going closer to your body and you being get, able to get underneath the bar 
changes the game. That can take you from, let's say, 80 to 100 on a clean and jerk. Easy. Yeah. And it's, it's that, that technical proficiency and that ability to coordinate the muscle movements is what's so vital in those in, in Olympic lifting. Honestly. Like, I got to 135 front squat. And feeling that comfortable in a front squat, just I was just like, there's nothing I can't really do below this weight in terms of cleaning. Because if I know I can get up with 135, I can rack it. How low I have to be to rack it, that's a different question. And this is this is the difference with, say, the powerlifting measures, because when you're looking at, say, a squat, in powerlifting terms, you have to hit a certain depth. Yep. Right? So your hips have to hit a certain depth, and then the bar has to travel a certain, certain amount, I think. Right? So those are your two measures. That's it. So as long as you get the bar low enough and you get your hips low enough, you've hit the lift. Right? It doesn't matter how awful your form is, in a sense. You can have the most awful form in the world, Whereas with, input, um, whereas with Olympic lifting, you can't. Because if you try and do the same thing, you're just going to fall over. You can't muscle it. Yeah, it has to, the movement has to be, I would say, within 90% perfect. It's true. So hopefully, listeners, there's something in the middle of that that's, that's a good takeaway point about being strong or not. The key thing, guys, is just understand that you've got two types of strength. It's always relative to body weight. And absolute. Yeah. And I think for most people, because of where they are, I think you should always focus more on the relative to body weight rather than absolute. Because in certain areas, your absolute will be through the roof. But then when you look at that same number relatively to your body weight, you're lagging behind. Yeah, and I think with, with it as well, it's worth factoring in, and we haven't really discussed this, but how long you've been training is a factor here. Because the longer yes. you train, the more your absolute number should be up. Yes, I agree. So if you've done 10 years of, of training regularly in a gym and you've been doing squats you know, twice a week for 10 years, you're, you, know, you shouldn't be uh, happy with a 100-kilo squat but then, unless you weigh like 50 kilos. But then that's, why, that's where it comes down to not so much, not even just the time, but how you've manipulated the time and what type of rep ranges you've done with it. You've switched into strength, endurance, stuff like that. But that's a... That's periodization, which is yeah, different. and that's also, but that's also an element of measure of strength because it shows that what you've been doing has been worth your time. That's it, and not a waste. That's it, perfect. But listeners, thank you very much, and you'll hear from us soon.